Welcome to the New Culture Church Podcast. Our vision is to establish the culture of Christ in Madison, one person, one place at a time. We believe that this transformation occurs through being like Jesus, becoming like Jesus, and doing what He did. We hope that the teachings and content you discover here will assist you on this journey. We would love to connect with you. For more information, please visit our website at newculturechurch.com. Enjoy the podcast. All right. Well, I already introduced myself, but I'm the only person holding a mic today because our beautiful senior pastor, Abby, is out of town for her baby brother's wedding. Um, so it's just me today, so I'll introduce myself again. Hello, I'm Ned Malise. I'm the associate pastor here at New Culture. Um, and as I was thinking about preaching for Mother's Day, I was a little stumped, um, and I may have written four different sermons for today. There are a lot of different things I wanted to say in so many different directions that I wanted to go. Um, But as I was kind of prepping and thinking through it, I thought about all of the mothers that I know and all of the mothers in my life. I thought about my grandmother who raised her kids in South Brooklyn, New York City, while her husband worked the night routes on the city bus and she knew no English. I think about my other grandma, mother of nine, who had her first when she was only 15, She cared for her children and held down the fort while my grandfather was in the military. I think about my mother sitting at parent-teacher conferences with her broken English, trying to be firm and advocate for her children. I think about all the moms over my nine years working in early childhood education who trusted me with their little ones, not because they wanted to, but because they needed to, to work so they couldn't be with their babies. I think about my friends, it's weird going to a season of life where all your friends are becoming moms. Um, And I think about them sharing with me about the sleepless nights, the fears, the feelings of helplessness and not being enough for their child. I think about the immense love in their eyes when they look at their sweet little pudgy babies. I think about the sacrifice without thought. I think about when I was little and I would get anxious. I've had Sunday scaries my whole life, y'all. Um, and I would be scared to go to school on Monday. And so my mom would get in bed with me and sing me, to, and she would sing worship songs to me until I fell asleep. Um, to this day, when the Sunday scary hit, I still fall asleep to worship music. When I think of moms, I think about walking in strength when you have no strength left to give. And I think that's something that we can all learn from. So, our so what for today's message is my weakness is an invitation for God's strength. My weakness is an invitation for God's strength. And our now what for today is to pour yourself out to him. Today we're going to be reading about my favorite uh, character in scripture. It's actually my favorite Bible story. We're going to be in Luke chapter 7, verses 36 through 50. Luke chapter 7, verses 36 through 50. It reads like this. Then one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went to the Pharisee's house and sat down to eat. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil and stood at his feet behind him weeping. And she began to wash his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. And she kissed his feet and anointed them with the fragrant oil. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he spoke to himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him, 
for she is a sinner. And Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. So he said, teacher, say it. There was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, you have rightly judged. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore, I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And those who sat at the table with him began to say to themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Then he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Do you see this woman? My friend Charity and I were sitting down for coffee one time a few years ago, and she asked me, this is a classic Bible college question over coffee, um, when you go to heaven, who from the Bible do you want to meet with, and what would you say to them? And my answer then, and my answer now is still, I want to meet this woman, and I just have one question. I want to ask her her name. Scripture never mentions her name. In this story, she's only listed as the sinful woman. Reputations. Your reputation, reputation, your reputation is what you're known for. It's how the society around you perceives you. Reputations are rarely accurate, often short-sighted, frequently born out of gossip, usually widespread, and difficult to change. Are there any younger siblings in the room? Wow, it's just me. Yeah, 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 yeah. There we go. There we go. Um, I'm a little sister. I'm the youngest in my house. I have one big sister. Her name is Kimberly. I haven't talked about her in a message in a while, so it's about time. (laughs) Um, My whole life, I had a reputation as Kimberly's little sister. Kimberly was always very well-known, very well-liked. She did very well in school. She performed well. Um, And I was the small version of her that looked just like her that usually walked slightly behind her. Um, And everyone just knew me as Kimberly's little sister. This, yeah, they knew me as Kimberly's quiet and shy little sister, which honestly is hilarious because if you know me, I am neither quiet nor shy, but that's a different story. (laughs) Um, Even the kids in my own grade knew me as Kimberly's little sister. Not Nedma Lise, not Nedma. Kimberly's little sister. When we look at this story, we see a woman with a reputation not quite as kind as Kimberly's little sister. She's known as something, not by her name, but rather as the sinful woman. Her reputation is that she's a notorious sinner. She didn't even have the luxury of being fake. There was no mask she could wear to cover up Uh, This reputation she had, she was known by her sin. When people looked at her, it was the first thing they saw. 
I want you to take a moment to think about that. Think about that thing you've done or that was done to you that you pray no one ever finds out about. That thing that's your unspeakable. Everyone knew her unspeakable thing. Imagine that. Walking around your city, your neighborhood, your place of work, every relationship in a state of constant exposure and rejection. She was known by her problems. We don't know what it is that was so notorious about this woman. We don't, the scriptures don't tell us what the sin was. Some scholars say it was sexual promiscuity and they call her a harlot, but we don't know what her past was. And I think it's important to note that Luke, who's the author of this passage, didn't find it relevant enough to know in the writings. It doesn't say she was a harlot. It doesn't say she was a thief. It doesn't say, and Luke doesn't think it matters very much. If it mattered what her sin was, he would have written it. So we're not going to try to insert things into the story today because we don't know what her problem was, but this is what we do know about her. She was alone. This alabaster jar is something that almost every family, the eldest child, the eldest daughter would have been given as an inheritance. And if she's been given her inheritance, it means her father is dead. We can also infer from the passage that she's an unmarried woman without a father, which means in the cultural context that she was unprotected, unprovided for, and alone. You know what blows my mind about this woman? She walks into a Pharisee's house full of mean religious men and kneels at the feet of Jesus and cries. I cried in front of someone I care about yesterday and when I did so, I looked off to the side and went like this so they wouldn't notice. And this woman walks into a room full of strangers and weeps at Jesus' feet. The vulnerability of this moment. She must have been desperate. Can you even for a moment imagine this? Imagine walking to a room full of people who have treated you poorly, who have judged you harshly, who have the authority to have you stoned. Can you imagine walking into a room where you do not belong? Women weren't to be in the same space that men were being taught. Jesus was a teacher in this room. She wasn't supposed to be there. In fact, the Pharisees had a prayer that literally said, thank God I'm not a woman. Their wives had to walk behind them looking at the floor when they were in public. She did not belong in that room under any circumstances. And she walks in to sit at the feet of a man that she doesn't know. She's only ever heard of Jesus and his teachings and his miracles. She doesn't know him. She had heard that Jesus touched lepers when no one else would and they were healed. She had heard that Jesus spoke to women and taught women. She had heard that Jesus forgave people of their sins She had heard that Jesus stopped people from stoning a woman not too long before this. She had heard that Jesus was her last hope. And so in desperation, she walked into a room covered in shame, full of people who shamed her further, and knelt at the feet of Jesus and hoped that maybe, just maybe, this man was who everyone said he was. Then there's Simon, the Pharisee 
who says if he knew what kind of woman this is that is touching him. Simon really thinks he knows this woman. But isn't that like the whole premise of reputations? They're an assumption. They're an assumption about who a person is based on a morsel of visible information about. If you've been here the past couple weeks, we've been doing a sermon series called Am I the Problem? And we've been evaluating different characters in scriptures and looking at where maybe they were the issue in the story and how sometimes we're the problem. And we wrapped it up last week, but I just want to suggest one more problem to you. Just one more. We assume way too much. We assume we know people we don't know. We assume we know their motivations when we don't. We assume we know what they've been up to behind closed doors when we don't. We define the people around us by our assumptions. In our prideful pursuit of holiness, we become like a Pharisee instead of like Jesus. And that is exactly what Simon showcases here. If he knew what kind of woman this is that's touching him, he was right. She was unclean. She shouldn't have been touching him. But he assumes he knows her. He doesn't know her. He knows her problems. And Jesus defends her. And I love this. I love this because he didn't have to defend her in order to offer her forgiveness. He didn't have to defend her to heal her or restore her. He defends her because he loves her. And because he's making a point that he protects the ones he loves. Listen, God don't play about him and his children, okay? God doesn't play about his. I want to pause and encourage you right now. If your character's been put in question, if you've been beaten up, if the enemy's been stomping on your throat, if shame has been tearing at your heart, Jesus defends his people. Jesus is your defender, and he doesn't play about you. Jesus tells this parable, and then do you know what he says that just rocks my world? He looks at these people, and he says, do you see this woman? If, I, if Simon was half as slick as I am, in his head, he would have been like, well, duh, I see her. She's right there. I was just talking about her. Of course I see her. But Jesus doesn't even give him the chance to answer the question. He says, do you see this woman? And he begins to describe her. He describes her for her love and devotion. He describes her for her worship. He describes her for her repentant heart and her devotion to Jesus. Jesus knew she was sinful. Jesus knew what the Pharisees knew about her. Jesus knew she was unclean. But Jesus saw her. Do you see this woman? For the first time, This woman is experiencing being seen as a person and not as her problem. I had a conversation with my best friend over a year ago, and I was frustrated, and I didn't know what the solution to what I was feeling was or exactly what I was feeling. And she asked me, Nedma, what do you want? Like, what is it that you want to feel? And after thinking about it, I remember telling her, I want to feel human. You see, at the time, I felt stuck and feeling like I was a thing. I felt like I was a commodity for people, and I just wanted to feel like a person. Jesus saw this woman for who she was. 
He didn't concern himself with treating her symptoms or addressing all the things that were floating on top in the surface. He spoke straight to her heart, the very core of her need. And as she came into alignment with him, she was set free. It wasn't in her stopping sinning. It wasn't in her trying hard enough. It wasn't in her strength. It was in her surrender. It was in her praise. It was in her vulnerability. It was in her using the last of her courage and the last of her strength to kneel at his feet. And that's when her freedom came. We're going to come back to this passage, but I want to quickly go over to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 8 through 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 8 through 10. It reads like this. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this thing, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. The weaker I get, the stronger I become. Here's the thing about the woman in the story in Luke. In order to receive the restoration that her story ends with, she had to embrace her present reality. She couldn't run from her past. She couldn't just move on and do better and pretend the bad stuff never happened. She had to own it. And then there's Paul. And when Paul talks in this passage in 2 Corinthians, he isn't a new believer. He isn't like the woman. He's been at this for a while. And he's still suffering. And there's still this thing in his life that he wants God to take from him. Can I tell you today that God's sovereignty does not anesthetize our experience. Jesus' response to her pain did not suddenly mean that all the pain from those experiences just went away. Paul's understanding and relationship with God did not make his experience less painful. Scripture does not say everything that happens in our lives is good. It says he works them out for good. Scripture doesn't say it's all beautiful. He says he will make ashes to beauty, the mourning to dancing, and the sorrow to joy. But that means that there are ashes, there is mourning, and there is sorrow. As long as we are on this side of eternity, our experience will include these things. And we cannot pretend that just because we've been at this a while, we shouldn't still be feeling all of these things. I fall into this all the time of the mindset of, I've been following Jesus for too long. I've seen him too many things. I'm a pastor. I shouldn't still struggle with anxiety. I should be able to move through hardship without difficulty because I've been following Jesus for a long time and I'm an empowered woman. The weakest I've ever felt, fun story, the weakest I've ever felt um, was about two years ago, almost exactly two years ago, um, when a childhood friend of mine passed away. I was in a really fragile state to begin with at the time. A lot of different things were going on. Um, and this just kind of felt like the cherry on top was getting um, a text message that a childhood friend had been shot and killed. And I remember having a really hard time not really knowing what to do. Um, and the next day was Sunday, and I needed to get up, and I needed to preach. And actually, similar to today, the rest of our team wasn't here, so I kind of had to run the show on my own. 
Um, And I didn't think I could do it. Truly, I was fully convinced that I had nothing left to offer, nothing left to give. I was prepared for um, Pastor Abby to get back from being out of town and discover that I had abandoned her church and had gone back to Florida, and it was over. And I remember the morning of Sunday morning, waking up the next day after finding out that he had passed, sitting on the edge of my bed, my mattress was on the floor, um, and I sat there with my knees all up to my chin, um, and I prayed, and I remember saying, Lord, you said when I'm weak, your power is made perfect. You said that in my weakness, you are strong, so come be strong in me. I was fully convinced in that moment that I had nothing left to give. And so that if his word was true, the only strength I had to offer was whatever strength he had to give me. How do we live strong lives? How do we live like empowered people? We own that we're weak. We own that we have nothing left to give. If you're in this room and you've been following Jesus for a little while, And you've done this already. And you're like, Nedema, I've heard this. And I know about Jesus' grace and power. It saved me. But I'm tired and I'm heavy laden. I would just like to, this is something I feel very strongly about. But to me, the most prevalent disease in Christians is the belief that system that says God's grace is enough to save me, but it's not enough to sustain me. I know that Jesus can do what he did with that woman. I know he can bring forgiveness. I know he can love me. I know he can bring me into his family. But now it's up to me to maintain that and to sustain myself. He could bring me into salvation, but can he help me when I haven't slept? Can he help me when things are getting rough? Can he sustain me? Because now it's on me. Saving grace is just the beginning. It's God's grace that empowers you. There is a sustaining grace that is accessible. His grace is sufficient for you on day one and for all of eternity. This woman didn't run from her weakness. She presented it to God as an offering, and he empowered her. Paul had this weakness that wouldn't go away. He didn't run from it. He didn't beat himself up for it, for not being better by now. He said, I'll boast in my weakness because his grace is sufficient to sustain me. And in my weakness, his power is made manifest in my... It is grace that saves me, sanctifies me, heals me, frees me, restores me, redeems me, revives me, defines me. And it's grace that sustains me. Who is this who even forgives sins? The worship team is going to go ahead and come up as we get ready to close. Who is this? I love that in this story, this woman who is so small, so insignificant, so irrelevant by normal standards, becomes the power player in the room. By the end of the story, aside from Jesus himself, she's the most powerful person in the room. And all these Pharisees are shook. Jesus forgave her sins and said, go in peace, who is this who even forgives sins? When the woman walked into the room, all she had was hearsay about who Jesus was. But when she leaves the room, she knows. Who is this who even forgives sin? 
she would answer them, he's Jesus, the son of God, the Messiah, the Christ. Who is this who even heals? Who is this who even forgives sin? Who is this who even takes shame? Who is this who even frees? Who is this whose grace saves? Who is this whose grace sustains? He is Jesus. One of the things that I get to do here at the church that is my absolute favorite thing is I get to lead a class called Alpha. Alpha is designed for people who aren't necessarily traditional churchgoers or who aren't a part of the faith at all. Um, Or maybe just people that have big questions that they want to ask. And every single week we get to wrestle through a different question. My two favorite weeks, there are two weeks in the beginning of Alpha about Jesus. And the first week we wrestle through the question, who is, uh, we wrestle through the question, who is Jesus? And then the second week we wrestle through the question, why did Jesus die? And why does it matter to me? And I think one of the things I love so much about those two weeks and it's why I'm obsessed with it is there's an activity that I always do at the end called your alpha list. And I ask all of the participants, and my favorite is to do it with people who have been in church their whole lives. And I ask them to make a list telling me who Jesus is. We do two lists. One is our objective list. And that's who is Jesus objectively. This is the hearsay part. Who have you heard that Jesus is? What does the Bible say about Jesus? What does history tell us about Jesus? Those lists usually say things like he was a refugee. They say things like he was born to Mary. They say things like he's the son of God. And they tend to be more generic titles that we have for Jesus. And then the second week, I ask everyone to pull out their list and we modify it. And I ask them to do who is Jesus subjectively. So who is Jesus to you? And why does it matter to you? Jesus died on a cross for our sins and our shame and all of these things. But why does it matter? It matters because this God of grace sustains me. It matters because in my life, I need his grace every single day. And it matters because I am weak and I need him to be strong in me. I'm going to invite everybody to stand up on your feet. In just a moment, the worship team is going to lead us in a song. And there are two things I would like for us to do while this song is going. You're welcome to worship. If you need to take a seat to process, pray, whatever, that's fine. But there are two things we're going to do during this time. The first is I would like us to reflect on that second part of the list. Who is Jesus? Who is this that even forgives sins? Who is this that takes our worries, takes our anxieties? Who is this that turns ashes to beauty and mourning to dancing? And why does it matter to you? Who is Jesus in your life? And why does it matter? And the second thing I'd like us to do is if you walked into this room working really hard to be really strong and there are some heavy things you've been carrying that you don't quite have the strength to continue to carry, I want you to follow in the footsteps of the woman in Luke chapter 7 and pour that out on Jesus. Scripture tells us to lay 
our cares on him and to take his yoke upon us for his burden is easy and his yoke is light. So we're gonna pour out our love on him. I'm gonna pray for us and then we're gonna go into a time of worship. Jesus, we thank you because your love for us is radical. It's so unlike anything we've ever encountered or anything that any person could ever offer us. We thank you for your work on the cross that gave us access, unending access to your love. Lord, I pray that as we go into this time of reflection and of worship, that you would just meet us, that the person that's walked into this space weighed down that they would walk out light. That the person that's walked in feeling helpless, feeling they have to be strong, Lord, that they would find freedom and the reality that it's okay if they feel weak. Because in our weakness, your power is made perfect. Lord, I thank you and we welcome you to move. In your holy name I pray. Amen.